Welcome to the Wiggly Podcast. This is the last podcast that we do before our summer break and we'll be back with you on August Bank Holiday, which is the 30th of August. So we look forward to having you back along with us then. If you would like to listen to more shows, look, go back. Go to the Wiggly website and you'll see all the shows listed there. Go to the bottom toolbar and you will see them. And this week is a special. With me on the sofa... Farmer Phil. And it's a special because Herefordshire Walking Festival came to the farm. And, uh, well, Phil, what did they do? We had a farm walk which was really based around the idea of how the Duchy of Cornwall managed their woodlands and how they've been dealing with recovering some of the neglected woodlands that are on our farm and why they've been doing it. Yeah, it turned out there was lots of strange trees on our farms that they have chopped down Mm. and they've sort of planted lots of native trees. Historically, the estate that this farm is part of used to have its own nursery, which produced ornamental shrubs and rather strange trees that that were ornamental type trees rather than for timber. And so consequently, when they hadn't got a home for them, they started planting them in some of the coppices around the farm, which were used for shooting and so on. So we'd got these trees which were overgrown. They were never supposed to be big trees, and they'd broken down and one thing or other and neglected. But these areas actually contained quite a wide variety of habitat, both for tree production and for wildlife. And so the Duchy suddenly thought, well, hold on a minute, we haven't done anything with these bits we'd better have a look-see, see what we can do with them, see whether we can make more sense out of them. And to that extent, they have obtained the relevant grants, tidied them up, replanted them with native hardwood species for the most part, deer-fenced them where appropriate, and cleaned out ponds and wet areas and one thing or another with the idea of returning them to a better state for all the purposes for which they were intended. Now, dear listener... You're quite honoured to come with us on this walk because there was 40 people that had booked on the walk and the walk was booked up in two days. Now, whilst you won't be able to enjoy the refreshments, which I think partly attracted them, the rest of the walk is yours to come on. And so picture the scene. It's a summer's evening, a beautiful summer's evening. It's 6.30pm and you are stood ready to walk up the track into the lawns where at the other end there used to be a stately home and your host for this evening is Graham Taylor. Graham Taylor is? He is one of the employees of a firm called Silver Culture who are contracted by the Duchy of Cornwall to actually help manage their uh, woodland in this area. You are with and lots of walkers with sticks, you know those professional walkers, droopy hats, shorts and enthusiasm so come with us up to the first stop which is at at the bullpit here we go the uh, duchy and, uh, and particularly prince of wales take their environmental status you know it's very important to them and one of the things that the prince of wales council considered recently was their carbon footprint both of the Prince of Wales office and the Duchy of Cornwall themselves. One of the upsides of the Duchy is that they they have woodland holdings extending to about four and a half thousand acres something like that Charlotte. Mainly in Cornwall and in Herefordshire. Uh, The holdings in Cornwall date back to the very early days of the Duchy back in 1300 sometime 
And the Herefordshire estate was acquired, some of you would be aware, back in 2000, acquired from the Prudential. The woodlands down in Cornwall, predominantly conifer, and the woodlands in Herefordshire, nice addition because they're predominantly broadleafed. And so there's a, there's a nice counterweight between the Dutchies woodland holdings in both areas. Having considered the, the, the sort of carbon issue, they appointed a, a specialist to look at all their carbon usage. In fact, that, most of that was done in-house, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. But then also appointed someone to assess the, the carbon balance of the woodlands, which thankfully was favourable. Well, we foresters know that we're, we do a good thing. Not everybody believes us. <laughs> but actually, forestry is pretty good on the carbon front. Much better than most forms of farming, I'm afraid, Philip. <laughs> you haven't read the report from last week, then, which actually stated that farming's very good. Yeah, farming is quite good. Farming is quite good, but forestry's better. Uh, at, 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 at sucking carbon out the at, at sucking carbon out the atmosphere is second to none. There was a calculation, an assessment made of the, of the um, carbon that was being sequestered uh, through the woods. Uh, according to the, the different species and the different growth rates, etc. But still, there came out a slight imbalance between the, the internal usage of fossil fuels within the duchy and, and what their woods was, were sequestering. And so uh, they've made a commitment now, over, well, it, hopefully in perpetuity, I suspect, until they can get their carbon footprint down, to be planting a few acres a year. And Philip, this was part of your field, wasn't it? Yeah. This was part of your holding. And had been under set aside. This this end had been under set aside for a long time. Set aside rules changed probably about was it three years ago, two years ago. Yeah, we we had the option to take set aside out of set aside and crop it again, but not unreasonably. The bits of ground that were chosen for set aside were usually chosen with a good reason. <laughs> in this case, stone wet, running sand in the bottom. It's a very awkward piece of ground from farming point of view, but it's actually quite a valuable piece of ground in terms of environmental impact, notwithstanding just the trees, because it's got all sorts of different habitats. There are reeds and irises growing down in the bottom. The pond is quite a habitat in itself, and then you've got a few mature or maturing oaks. And so it lends itself much better to being managed as woodland than it does as me trying to plough around these obstacles. And so that was a better idea, really, was to um, offer it back to Graham for a suitable consideration and let him do it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this and another location have been sort of taken back in hand, which we'll see a bit later, uh, and have been reforested this spring. I mentioned earlier about some of the frustrations of the system that, that people have to deal with, with in regards to DEFRA and the Forestry Commission. Um, in many ways, they do a great job. They keep they keep in check some of you know some of the rogue elements in the sort of landowning world. But inherently, in any form of civil servant or civil service organisation, there's an incredible bureaucratic process. And one of those processes is is the application for both permission to plant trees on a particular piece of land, and if you're wanting to get some a grant contribution towards it. And the process starts usually you put an application in up till beginning of September for planting that season. It, you wouldn't believe it, but it'll take often take four to five months to go through the, the, the system. You're then supposed to put your grant application in by 31st of March, and you often haven't got your approval through until middle of February, end of February. <laughs> 
and uh, then you have this really tight window in which you've got to get the trees in the ground and everything tickety boo so that you can then put your put your, your, your grant application in anyway so that's what happened here the snow actually added added to the complications so I think we first started putting the, the fences in it was probably about mid-March and then the trees went in late March managed to get all the trees in the ground but of course we still actually hadn't time to dig out the pond <laughs> So the, the pond digging out happened after the tree planting. Anyhow, let me explain a bit about tree design, you know, the planting design, the thinking behind the, pl the planting. First of all, I just want to highlight the fence again. Those of you that burn firewood will know that chestnut isn't a very good firewood. It spits. When you put chestnut fire on an open fire, it spits. It also takes a long time to dry. It's a species that holds on to its moisture. But it is a fantastic fencing material. Very, very, very durable. The chestnut that's in the woods dotted around, we've got areas of coppice and areas of, of single trees. We're using almost all those raw materials uh, from the, that are growing in the estate woods back on the estate. And here they've been used for to help put up the chestnut fence. Again, a, a sort of cheap temporary structure, but we'll be able to reuse those, the, both the wire and the, and the posts. In terms of the design, we're encouraged through the grant system to, to plant native species and generally we do. The, the Dutch is very, very committed to broadleaves in particular, uh, in particular in this part of the world. Two reasons. One is you know, it's good nature conservation but first and foremost strongly passionately believe in growing trees for timber and the ground here in Herefordshire is eminently suitable for growing very good high quality broadleaf trees over the longer term and so the design that we used here incorporated native species but was very much with timber in mind and in a way in which we can manipulate the stand over the longer term to both deliver the, the carbon sequestration that we're hoping to, hoping to deliver to deliver the, the sort of conservation aspects but also in time grow, that, to grow the species on for timber. What suits down here is probably ash so the matrix mainly down here is predominantly ash but amongst it we've got groups, solid groups of oak and solid groups of cherry but also just a few non-native timber species. There are, there, are, there are clumps of walnut, there are clumps of wild service, both of which if grown well you'll end up with something that's very valuable in the, in the future. So the trees have gone in at roughly around about two, two and a half thousand stems per hectare, roughly about two metre spacing. They were planted unprotected. We haven't really got a rabbit problem down here. Not too no, bad, no. So we'll be able to exclude the deer, plant the trees, relatively good sized trees, 69 centimetres, and these trees will now be weeded. Because of the, the spring drought, we have actually lost a few, specifically the oak. The oak have really suffered a little bit with this drought, but actually most of the other species have got away quite well, and we will come back in the autumn and uh, just replace the losses that, you know, there are a few, few dead trees over there. But on the whole, I've been pleasantly surprised because we haven't had a lot of rain in the last three months. We tend not to water individual trees when they're that small. If we're spending a lot of money on individual specimen trees, we will con give consideration to watering, but mean foresters don't. Frugality with you, cheap fences and no water. We will spend money, we will spend money, it's knowing where to spend the money. And that's about maintenance actually into the future, particularly on weeding, particularly on pruning, making sure that the, the trees are going in the right direction. With regards to the woodland plantings, we, we sort of increasingly recognise the importance of, of the shrub layer and the shrub species within the overall tree planting mix. And certainly here and each of the plantings, you know, probably 20-25% shrubs within the mix. Two of the areas have had, will have additional um, areas of new hedge along the edge of the wood, the new wood. 
when I look at look at woodland management over the last sort of 15, well, probably 30 years, foresters, I think, have been guilty of really just neglecting the understory. In fact, from wartime, the second, end of the Second World War, for, for about 30 years, we're probably trying to poison the thing and get it out of the way. We wanted trees and we wanted timber. Actually, when you go into most semi-natural woodlands in the county, well, certainly you know, across the country, if you're wanting to achieve the kind of forestry that the Dutch is trying to achieve in terms of utilising natural systems, you need that shrub layer to assist with the shading out of competitive bracken and bramble. In these conditions, that you get such fierce field layer level cover that actually young trees just can't establish in those kind of conditions. You know, also the bluebells, bluebells get shaded out. So we're actually planting a lot of shrub back into the woods that wasn't, well, it used to be there and has been neglected or browsed off by deer or whatever, and, and very gradually building up the shrub portion because every layer is sucking carbon out of the atmosphere. Right. Okay. Onward. Okay, I um, just really wanted to stop here to show you what that woodland that we looked at was like. Wide space trees, quite a lot of thick bracken, bramble. There was perhaps a little bit more sort of shrubby alder and willow growth in that wood because it's a bit damper than this one behind us. But as you go around, you'll see a scattering of amenity trees just delivering a sort of okay kind of habitat uh, and okay kind of carbon benefits. Not great in landscape terms and, and certainly not good in forestry terms and, and, and tree growing terms. So again, the plan here is as with that wood, and we're going to make more open space, plant it up with a good mix of an appropriate broadleaf species, and hopefully create some good thicket and understory that'll be there in perpetuity. Because at the moment, that's only a sort of mediocre quality in terms of nesting birds and food provision. What look like trees here, they, they're actually shrubs, and a lot of them are split out. If you got in amongst in the middle of them, they're all broken and knackered. Oh. Things, and quite it? a lot of the maples, as I say, were, were squirrel damaged. I haven't mentioned the grey squirrels. Who's a fan of the grey squirrel? Before I start saying rude things about grey squirrels. Good, I'm glad you're, um, you're obviously well-read people. The grey squirrel <laughs> is the major pest of the forest industry and the woodland, woodland trees in the UK. We work really quite hard to keep down grey squirrel numbers. For the unin uninformed, they will girdle a young broadleaf tree. Most native broadleaf species are attacked oak in particular but also beech and sycamore and sweet chestnut cherry and ash are less prone to damage and and having taken off the bark rot and decay sets in and the tree becomes unstable often will die early and uh, they really are a pain and they have been uh, as many of you will know displaced the native red um, they carry, many of you may not know the the, the greys carry a virus called the parapox virus that has only been discovered in the last sort of 15 or 20 years and that's the that's the vector for killing off the the reds is uh, they also outcompete the reds for food because the greys can digest acorns earlier than the reds can so we work quite hard uh, trying to keep squirrel numbers down ray and the team um, shoot and trap and shoot and trap and shoot and trap <laughs> and do quite a good job and in fact we, we've noticed uh, significantly over the last sort of five years we, we changed tack with regards to grey squirrel control we were poisoning them for m many years and it was just becoming ineffective and not very environmentally sustainable in my opinion and so we we, we really targeted uh, the shooting and trapping and um, made a big difference to both squirrel numbers to condition of the trees but also notif notably i would say to bird numbers woodland birds in particular in the woods and you know, we all sense that the, the woods are much noisier and much more lively places than they used to be. Whether that's to do with grey squirrels, I'm, I'm convinced. We haven't got any science behind it, but 
the BTO, the British Trust for Rural and Ornithology, is doing some work with the Red Squirrel Survival Trust trying to prove the link between high grey squirrel populations and low woodland bird numbers uh, with some scientific work at the moment. And if that can be proved, hopefully we'll be able to make some better arguments to undertake some you know, better control measures with the grey. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> used a section of metal deer fence up this face partly because it was going to become the boundary we need to keep fallow deer out still for the time being but this fence is like this section of fence is likely to be here for a lot longer but around the rest of it we've used temporary netting similar kind of mix planted here ash dominated it's a very fast grower it sucks out an awful lot of carbon dioxide every year it's a fantastic timber over a you, know, you can grow them on 60, 70 year rotations. It is probably the best firewood and actually is a really, really good nurse. The other tree species that we're, we're growing in here, you can see here just behind me there's, there's a group of oak. We've again sadly lost probably 30, 40% of the oak in here. We only put 15, 20% of the total trees that went in were oak, but they, they've, I'm afraid, suffered with the spring drought is a little bit disappointing to be honest but um, again not a lot we could do about it but other, other species again went in there's some walnut gone in there's some uh, wild service uh, some cherry one of the interesting things that you do as forester is experiment every time you, you do some planting and I, I gradually over the years have concluded that when you're trying to grow different broadly species together if you try and try and just put in an intimate mix of all all sorts usually one or two succeed and it tends to be the faster establishing, the faster growing ones. So if you planted an oak next to an ash, next to an oak, next to a cherry, next to an oak, next to an ash, the ash would usually win. And so one of the ways to get your long-term species mix right is to plant your mixtures in a way so that you're, getting, you're making sure you're getting some oak. So here, for example, we put in the oak at roughly in groups of 25, I think it was, Ray, wasn't it? and similarly with the cherry sometimes we've historically we've planted you know occasionally you sort of get single line mixtures of, of ash and cherry and ash and cherry and it's all ended up a cherry dominated wood and you didn't want that but the you know type you learn from one's mistakes and i think we broadly we've come to an approach now which i think does work will work in the long term as long as we can keep all the species alive <laughs> and um, i think we will we'll get to the point now where actually this will provide a really good mix the ash will come out probably at age 60 70 80 uh, as will the cherry and we'll still have that basic mosaic of oak that will go on for that long much longer time frame 120 years 150 years i throw away these sort of long rotations just come off my tongue it is actually quite a long time and you do feel that you are really just a little bit of a steward in the, in the landscape and, uh, and making decisions that obviously future generations will benefit from. Some of the fantastic oak woods that you see around Herefordshire are not a result of nature, they're a result of man and man deciding actually at the end of perhaps 250 years of coppicing when coppicing as an economic activity ceased back in the mid-Victorian periods, actually oak's a really good thing to grow in Herefordshire. There's actually an awful lot of what a designated ancient and semi-natural oak woods were actually planted as oak woods, planted by men and uh, you know, people in the past that decided they wanted an oak wood. So that's what we've got. And actually the, the high forest canopy woodlands that you see around, it's beautiful that we, we assume have always been here, actually weren't here 150 years ago. They were predominantly coppice woodlands and a lot of shrub growth, this kind of height, cut down in large swathes economically, 17, 20 acre clear fells, bang it down to go off and produce firewood and particularly charcoal for the iron smelting industry up until the discovery of coke. And that probably happened for about three or four hundred year period before the mid-Victorian period. So the woodlands of 
two centuries ago would look very different. It'd be very industrial, lots of smoke rising, lots of people working, beavering away, and you wouldn't see that sort of dominant green, lush, dominant canopies of, of mature trees that we see in our, what we perceive to be natural today, because actually they weren't like that at all. There's actually behind you a triangle of what is probably the oldest woodland on the farm. I don't know why it survived, but in there is far older than anything anywhere else on the farm. It's only a small bit, but there's all sorts of strange things in there. Yeah, the faster growing species are much better at carbon sequestration. They're sucking more carbon out than an oak tree does. An ash tree will probably suck out probably twice the amount that an oak tree does in the same time, in terms of carbon. You get 2,500 tonnes per hectare, it's about two metres spacing. Here it'll be supplemented by a lot of natural regeneration. You can see behind us the sort of prolific birch. There's, a, there's an awful lot of young birch coming up through here as well. So we'll probably be fighting the birch in four or five years' time. And very gradually you then start to reduce the spacing by, by cutting to waste. And about year 20 you might actually start to go do a first, 2025, take a first thinning and actually start taking trees out and timber out. All with a view to trying to get really good quality, fast-growing, healthy specimens away for the longer term. And if you can do that, actually, you know, there's various experiments gone on that showed that, that a really well-managed stand does really maximise the carbon-sucking benefits. And if you're then turning that timber into a, a raw material that can be used either for fuel or for timber that then goes into a, an oak timber frame house or a, you know, a fantastic piece of furniture, you're getting also some carbon being stored there. So there's, it's not just the living process that's, the, that's beneficial, it's the, it's the end process as well. Yeah. One of the things I was going to say at the first stop but didn't, when you look at the, the wider estate, the woods hardly contain any veterans at all. Despite 1,500 acres of woodland, you might just find the odd tree that's 200, 250 years old. Most of the really old trees, the veteran trees, are actually in the agricultural field margins and, and, and hedge boundaries. And, um, and there's a Farmers sort of... one, foresters nil. Yeah, well, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> There we are. Now we're walking back to the farm. Unfortunately, you won't be able to have the refreshments, but if you want to do your own at home and pretend you're with us, we had egg sandwiches, we had homemade leek pie, which was delicious, we had pork pies from just down the road, apple juice from Tillington Court Farm, and then we had a lovely cake. It was lovely, wasn't it? It was lovely. So it all went very well. I think everybody enjoyed it. I had no complaints anyway. Did you enjoy it, dear Wiggly listener? If so, why not go to iTunes and give us a review? If you didn't, go there anyway. Give us a review. We like to know what you think. If you want to email me, it's heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at wiggled. Farmer Phil? On Twitter, I'm at Farmer Phil with no E and my email is pwg at lowerblakemere.co.uk. If you need any gardening supplies, wildlife and supplies or flowers, just go to the Wiggly website, www.wigglywigglers.co.uk. I hope you have a lovely summer. Don't think we won't be recording because we've got some new features coming up for you. We have a weekly Cliveism. Farmer Clive from Preston Wide that's going to appear on the Wiggly show next term, starting on August Bank Holiday. Uh, we've got some new Monty casts coming up and we will be recording, Farmer Phil will be recording from his Duchy of Cornwall summer school and I'll be recording from Seville 
in Spain at some point. So there's all sorts to look forward to. But in the meantime, have a lovely holiday. Hope you enjoy your garden. Bye from me. And bye from me.